Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, Digital Shadows Cyber Threat Intelligence Podcast. Excited to join everyone this week. And with me, as always, my esteemed colleagues, I have Charles. Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, Austin. Good to be here. And Rick. Hello. All right. You didn't say CISO, Rick. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just the regular introduction. You know, you know, every time I think we've done that, I, I see your face and it's, uh, yeah, you know, just uh, felt like it was more, more fitting this time. I like it. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and roll right into it. I wanted to start the podcast off this week with uh, an update to the Microsoft Exchange Service vulnerability. We got some, some reporting early on the week that kind of gave us a warm and fuzzy from Microsoft. They said that 92% of Exchange servers are now safe from the proxy logon vulnerabilities. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of just talk to that a bit and, and really gauge everybody's thoughts on our, do we really feel comfortable right now? I don't know, Austin, let's, let's start there. Do you think that uh, this should alleviate any of those fears regarding the vulnerabilities or should defenders still be uh, paying attention in this area? I mean, 92%, that's a great number. <clears throat> um, but, you know, Microsoft also reported that 30,000 exchange servers are still vulnerable to the proxy logon vulnerabilities. And, you know, I think since the attacks have targeted so many organizations indiscriminately and across many uh, different industry verticals, I think it's a good idea to, you know, continue to keep your guard up best practice shields up yellow <laughs> alert that's it yeah no I, I definitely don't think that uh this is going away anytime soon and we'll, we'll kind of talk to this more as we get through through the rest of the podcast about some some updates the some cyber criminals are actually starting to target those vulnerabilities but um just to kind of support that that thought that you know obviously this could still be relevant austin uh, can you take us through the timeline, you know, from the point that we saw the vulnerability disclosed to the point that there was a proof of concept and then to where we are now, where we see rans ransomware actors go ahead and, and leverage the vulnerability to conduct their attacks? Yeah, it seems like we've come a long way in a short amount of time. Um, the vulnerability was first disclosed to Microsoft on February 2nd. And then, you know, it was a, whole, it was a month later when the patches were issued for those four uh, proxy logon vulnerabilities. And then there was multiple proof of concepts uh, that were, you know, appeared on GitHub in the days following the patch, which, you know, stuck, coincided with the reporting of other threat actors targeting exchange servers. And now in the last uh, two weeks, we are seeing, as you said, um, that noticeable increase in ransomware actors targeting these vulnerabilities. Uh, DeerCry ransomware was one. Black Kingdom ransomware, which we're going to touch on later. So yeah, it just goes to show you that, um, like Rick likes to say, cybercrime will find a way, even after patching. You know, if these were already exploited, um, threat actors can uh, continue to target those vulnerabilities. Yeah, it's a good point. It kind of brings me to the question that I had for Charles, and kind of from that technical perspective, if the threat actors were, you know, exploited the vulnerability and they're kind of sitting now on the network, and obviously now. A majority of of the servers, as we alluded to, have been patched. Could they just be sitting there and just waiting to, you know, preparing their ransomware attack and waiting to execute? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's a, a very plausible scenario. I think uh, it's important to keep in mind that, like, in a situation like this, when there's like a you know a working exploit and it's a big high priority thing like this, it's, you know, made a lot of waves uh, in the industry. It's it's important to remember that uh, just patching is is not like the end of the incident response lifecycle. 
uh, you know, like that's, that's pretty much like the beginning, you know, like you, you were going to have to do a whole lot more work to make sure that you weren't, you know, compromised and that there's nothing there, uh, and, and evaluating for those specific scenarios. Uh, so. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely not just a, a set and forget type of thing. Um, but yeah, no, kind of staying with that and seeing what we've, we've what we've kind of alluded to already of ransomware actors and everyone's fears where we're that, the uh, ransomware cybercrime was going to take off obviously initially hafnium we saw reporting that uh, some some chinese nation state threat actors were already leveraging the vulnerabilities for espionage but obviously the cyber criminal landscape they're aware of these vulnerabilities especially when they see proof of concepts come out and they can easily then uh, create a payload or use the vulnerabilities to then uh, attack various organizations and and get their ransom their ransomware going so let's let's kind of jump onto that. We saw Acer got hit with a, a pretty hefty ransom request. I think it was in the the sixty millions, and I saw reporting that this is the largest ransom request um, to date. So Austin, can you kind of walk us through what happened? Yeah. So um, Acer was hit by Rebel, aka Sodanokibi, ransomware attack, and they did ask for fifty million dollars, which is actually their largest ransom request to date. And then it's common with, you know, most of their attacks, they posted the exfiltrated data uh, from Acer to their ransom leak site or their either, they call it the happy blog auction where they auction off the data to other threat actors. And they gave them until March 28th, so three days from now, to pay that $15 million steep ransom request. Yeah, and I also saw that they had threatened if they don't receive a payment, they're just going to up it, double it to, you know, I'm guessing $100 million. So it's, I mean, we're getting up there. It's crazy the thing I, who would have thought five years ago when we were kind of seeing ransomware at the the individual level, would we ever see a $100 million ransom request? Um, so it's just kind of what, what's going to be the the coming ransom request in, in the next five years? Who knows? Maybe we'll see a $1 billion ransom request, which I'm sure um, sounded, sounded absolutely insane, but it's kind of something that, that could be on the horizon. Uh, and I guess, Austin, I wanted to pick your brain on, on what could be some of those implications to the ransomware landscape with a, a request of this nature. Yeah, I think it's really going to depend on how Acer addresses the ransom demand. I mean, I'd be shocked if he paid out a $50 million ransom. Um, but I think, in, you know, in general, in the ransomware landscape, most of these ransomware groups, they seem to list ransom amounts that they know an organization can afford and would be willing to pay. And I think what's interesting about Revel in particular, um, like in the past week, there was a, an affiliate had an anonymous interview, and they said that they specifically looked to target organizations that have cyber insurance um, you know, I'm not entirely sure how they go about collecting that information. Um, but that would be an interesting thing, to, you know, to keep an eye on, you know, are the, are other ransomware groups going to specifically target, uh, companies that have cyber insurance? Um, or is it going to be, you know, based on some other metric, like what the revenue is? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I guess having that kind of cyber insurance probably makes it a little bit more likely for them to see a payment. How much do we see? Do we see targeting of uh, insurers? Like, wouldn't that be nice? Let me go after the cyber insurance. There was one just this week. Yeah, I don't know if they had cyber insurance, um, but they got hit. Um, CNA insurance, but right. that'd be a nice target. Go after the providers, get their customer list, and then target their customers. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's not to not to give the the bad guys any ideas, but it makes it makes sense. And I mean, it's what we've seen over the past few months is kind of targeting a single provider and then accessing the rest of their customers. That's what we saw with the Excelion incident, and then the Klopp ransomware team. They didn't even they didn't have to uh, they didn't have to encrypt any of the victims. They were just taking the data that they obtained from their first victim and then extorting uh, the customers of Exilion. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, a best of both worlds. You get to, you don't really have to do too much work and yet you still get the extortion piece because you already have a, a dedicated data leak site. So, yeah, I, I mean, that could be something we definitely could see in the future, this kind of thought that we're just going to take your data and if it's relevant enough to pertain to a single company, we're going to go ahead and try and extort them. Yeah. It kind of brings in a, a whole nother angle of, of the third party risk. Well, it's like the rinse and repeat, like maximizing the value. If I've already done one thing, kind of make a, a marginal change and then make some more money. I just checked right now, you know, we're recording on Thursday afternoon and the CNA site still has, uh, you know, on March 21st, sustained cybersecurity attacks. So they, they don't have their website back online yet either. Yeah, definitely impactful. It's definitely something to, to keep an eye on in, in the ransomware landscape. But stick going back to, to um, Sodnokibi and, and what happened here with the service exchange vulnerability in Acer, has there been any other reporting suggesting that uh, Rebel had exploited the service exchange vulnerabilities in any other ransomware attacks recently? So yeah, according to reports, um, the uh, advanced Intel cyber intelligence system detected uh, Rebel affiliate pursuing Microsoft Exchange weaponization, but it's not actually known if they used the vulnerability specifically to launch ransomware attack. Um, but yeah, as we've discussed, threat actors behind DeerCry have already used the proxy log on vulnerability to deploy the ransomware. So it's definitely possible that that was their initial access vector, um, but no confirmed reporting that that's actually how they went about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like they're, they're finding plenty of other ways to gain a foothold into these companies and these organizations to continue their, their kind of ransomware operations. It's definitely doesn't seem like they're hurting for money right now at this point, at least for some of these, these, more prominent ransomware groups that we're seeing on a pretty consistent basis. So rounding out kind of our discussion on ransomware and the exchange service vulnerabilities, we, we talked about Black Kingdom a little bit. We talked about DeerCry. So these are two ransomware variants that have been cons- confirmed to be targeting the exchange service vulnerabilities, proxy log on vulnerabilities to go ahead and conduct their ransomware attacks. Um, Charles, I just wanted to kind of, can you, can you walk me through the, the Black Kingdom ransomware? Uh, yeah, so kind of at, at a high level, it's basically uh, been found to have been, a, it's a Python script that uh, basically they'll use whatever specific vulnerability or exploit to get onto the system. Uh, that Python script has actually uh, been compiled to run as a Windows executable file. Uh, so they'll drop that file on the machine um, that meets some conditions, you know, they'll, they'll run the file uh, and that pulls down uh basically launches like a PowerShell script that pulls down the actual ransomware itself, leaves the node, encrypts the files, and exfills all the data. Yeah. And we've seen Black Kingdom before um, targeting vulnerabilities kind of this nature. What what vulnerability, I think it was like June last year, did you did you see that, Charles, what vulnerability they were targeting before? Uh, yeah, they uh, they made the news for using the, the big Pulse VPN one that came out. Uh, so they were using that to get onto networks and then drop, you know, drop the script on there that 
pulled down their ransomware and uh, encrypted everything. So um, kind of seems like this is uh, just another iterative, iterative version of that. So, yeah. So there, I mean, there were some significant correlations between the two variants. The one that sticks out the most to me is they both request the $10,000 in Bitcoin and the fact that they're both leveraging a pretty prominent vulnerability soon after the disclosure happened. So that Pulse Secure VPN vulnerability, and now we're seeing Black Kingdom kind of coming up with the the exchange service vulnerability kind of gives me the the belief that they're going to be around whenever we see you know some of these these larger scale vulnerabilities that they think they can they can leverage especially with the proof of concept that comes out pretty soon um, that they'll go ahead and, and exploit that but uh, Austin I actually wanted to, to ask how, how successful have Black Kingdom been in the ransomware uh, landscape so far well in regards to this uh, particular vulnerability it, it seems like um, the ransomware wasn't working as well because they switched from ransomware to scareware, which claims your files are uploaded, um, which just suggests the ransomware is not working well. So it dropped a ransom note in the directories that they had accessed, demand, like you said, demanding 10,000 in Bitcoin. Uh, but it seems that the malware is kind of poorly coded is maybe why it wasn't working. Um, and then the Bitcoin address that Black Kingdom uses has been static. They've only received one payment in three days, which isn't a very high success rate, I would say. Yeah, if they're targeting multiple directories. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's it in it. I, like you mentioned, I think an initial reporting. Uh, so there's a couple uh, honeypots that were set up, and that's where they saw they saw uh, Black Kingdom ransomware attempting to be executed. And initially, it was just it was just saying that uh, the data was encrypted, but it actually it just dropped the ransom note, but it didn't actually encrypt anything. And then it looked like they went back and and kind of fixed their errors. So yeah, it's it. It just goes to say again, with that proof of concept coming out so soon after disclosure, it kind of opens the door for those who might not necessarily, and, and not, not to give a knock to the, the Black Kingdom ransomware operators, but it really kind of opens the door to more threat actors uh, to leverage the vulnerabilities to see if they can find a way to monetize it. But stepping away from ransomware, I uh, wanted to, to kind of <laughs> take a look at uh, what else is going on in the landscape. We saw some pretty interesting findings. Regarding Wait, are you saying, hold on, hold on. Are you saying there's <laughs> take, something take else off. beyond uh, ransomware that's right. going on right now? Who would, who would think? Oh, I didn't realize that. Who would think that, that. Uh, we need to be aware of the other threats that exist out there? But yeah, some, a phishing campaign. It's been pretty effective. The campaign's resulted in the theft of 400,000 OWA and Office 365 credentials. So Charles, I want you to wanted to, to kind of pick your brain on this one. How has the phishing campaign been so effective? Uh, well, so, I mean, there's a, a variety of ways that they're going about this, I guess, really. And, and uh, like the, the big thing is it's like they're posing as like notifications from big like video chat stuff, you know, things like that. Like it, they're, they're posing as in most standard phishing campaigns. Like there's nothing really too out of the ordinary with that. Like, but they're, they're trying to have that sense of legitimacy by saying like, Oh, Hey, we're so-and-so and we have a notification for you. You know, you need to sign in here and check this out, uh, do whatever. But, uh, kind of the thing that's interesting is they're using like, um, compromised Singrid and Mailgun accounts. So like by, by doing that, they're able to kind of use those relays to get their phishing emails bypass, like bypassed through a lot of like standard spam filters, you know, mark that would mark stuff like that as malicious or spam or, or phishing and stuff. Uh, so they're able to kind of bypass that and get those in the boxes and, and just get, getting past that stuff kind of is the hardest part for a lot of phishing campaigns because 
fishing is just such an effective way at harvesting credentials. Um, I've said it forever. I feel like, uh, and I'll say it again, like there's, we, we go on and on about vulnerabilities and exploits and everything. But, uh, when I ever have to do any like offensive stuff, uh, it's always just easier to like ask people to give you things than it is to like actually do all the other legwork to find, find vulnerabilities and stuff. I mean, so it's just, it's always going to be effective because it's got the human element. Um, so, uh, you mentioned mail gun. We did a piece in what September, October, when we looked at exposed access keys and we actually found Mailgun secret keys out there <clears throat> using the digital shadow service. So, you know, that's a nice thing to target because then you now have another platform to leverage to go to go after stuff. So yeah, it just brought back a memory, um, which September, October seems like years ago at this point. So I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I remembered it. Yeah. And I think we talked about that a couple of times of just making yourself the hardest target possible because threat actors are going to go after the low hanging fruit. Obviously you have some of those nation state adverse advanced persistent threats that are going to be around and they're just going to wait around until they find what they're looking for. But these kind of more opportunistic cyber criminals, they're just looking for the easiest way in. And if you give them the keys to the car, they're going to take it. Like it just, that's just the way it's going to go. So yeah, absolutely. I guess Charles kind of staying with this this phishing campaign that we saw. What are just kind of been the the recommendations for defending against this? You know, some bypassing some of these uh, security mechanisms that, that we have in place. I mean, really, it's it's going to be the same as as pretty much any other phishing stuff. You, you really want to just try and and have uh, like a good culture of security awareness, you know, provide training if you can, just try to make people suspicious of stuff if they're not expecting things like that, you know, looking at sending addresses, not just the subject line and the actual name that shows up on there, like look at the address of, of where it's coming from. Uh, you know, if you can, uh, you know, implement two-factor, you know, authentication on accounts to kind of help prevent some of the stuff, like that's going to help as well. Um, but th those are, those are the really big, you know, things that you want to try and do. So yeah, absolutely. And just kind of reviewing your, your mail flow rules, uh, just for any like broad ex ex exceptions that can, you know, let some of these, these phishing emails through. So yeah, I know some good, some good recommendations for defending against these threats because it's, they're not going away. They're, they're working. So of course we're going to keep seeing them. And then Austin kind of from the analyst perspective, knowing what we know about the threat landscape, how do you see the threat actors using these credentials? Yeah, kind of going back to what you just said, you know, if you give uh, give threat actors the keys, uh, they'll take the car. So yeah, that can these credentials they can gain access to other computers in the network. Um, they can lock that person out of their account, and then you know once they're actually inside the network, both data theft, downloading data, they could launch ransomware attacks, system hijacking, all sorts of malicious things that can be done. Yeah, absolutely, and what we see quite and often the list goes on. Yeah, the list it's it's really kind of like just whatever they see fit. You know, what, yeah. and what I would say too, obviously they could probably try and monetize that. Those credentials sell them off to whoever's willing to pay for them. And yeah, then whoever knows once it's out there, it's out there. It's hard to, to defend against. So yeah, that kind of wraps us up for the week. Um, some good information when it comes to what we've seen with the, the, service, the exchange service vulnerabilities and, and uh, some interesting OWA phishing couple plugs real fast two blogs from digital shadows this week the first on the analysis of tax and unemployment fraud it's that time of the year again uh, so as you would imagine tax season means tax season for criminals as well 
the second on second blog we put out this week is on how cyber criminals are protecting themselves from from jail time and kind of their views on how their nefarious actions fit into uh, the criminal justice landscape. And one last thing I wanted to mention, we're nearing our 200th episode. Crazy to think. Uh, for the episode set to record on the 29th of April. So please stay tuned. Um, there'll be more to come on how we're going to plan to celebrate. Uh, definitely a, a momentous occasion for the Shadow Talk team. Thanks again for tuning in. If you want to reach out, uh, give us any recommendations, you can do so either via Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, you can find the, fo- the photos on LinkedIn um, on there, as well as I'm on Twitter. Find me at my Twitter handle at Alec a six. Uh, be glad to have a discussion about the uh, thread Intel, but thanks again for joining me, Rick, Charles and Austin. Uh, always a pleasure and look forward to speaking again in a few weeks time. 